Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Welcome back to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Gang, is it me or are the weeks just flying by? In a few short weeks, it'll be Thanksgiving. I hope you had a fantastic Halloween. If you have kids and you did trick-or-treating like I did, hopefully you survived the sugar surge. (laughs) I barely survived it with Harrison. We walked basically halfway up the block and then after that he was like trying to grab people's candies out of the bucket and then he wanted to like run back home yeah but we survived the day we survived the day if you're following my social media you know that he was a scarecrow for halloween which was interesting to get the costume on but thank god we survived it hopefully you did too so if you're anything like me you're basically going from halloween to Christmas planning. Yep, I love Christmas, but we're not going to go to Christmas just yet. So we're not going to talk about it. I just got a little bit excited. So let's get back focused. Although we will have, you know, stuff coming up for Christmas soon. But either way, several people, actually a ton of y'all have asked so many questions about the safety of sex and pregnancy. I felt like we should talk about it today. Yes, we're going there. Let's talk about sex and pregnancy. So one of our earliest podcast episodes in season one featured expert guests and one of my closest friends, Dr. Kim Harris, where we discuss postpartum sex and basically getting your groove back after you're somebody's mama. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already listened. Even if you have listened, it's been a while, so go back and listen to that episode. But it was brought to my attention that I never quite discussed sex during pregnancy. So let's talk about that today. So to start, sex is a very natural process. I know people are like, oh my God, we're talking about sex and pregnancy. It's natural, right? It's the only way you can have kids. You can't have kids without having sex. But it doesn't mean that you stop having sex because you're pregnant and you can't have another baby on top of the one you already have in your belly. No, we need to make sure we're keeping a very healthy sex life even during the pregnancy. But some of y'all, particularly women, or anxious, or afraid to have sex in pregnancy. I don't know why that is. Well, I guess I do know why. I mean, pregnancy is a very, uh, no, anxiety-provoking time of your life because you really don't know what's going on on the inside, right? You're like, do I feel the baby moving? Do I not? Do I, you know, is he there? Is he alive? Is he not? I get it, right? But that doesn't have any impact on the actual pregnancy. So whether you have vaginal sex, anal sex, oral sex, masturbation, all of these things that provide you with pleasure, you don't have to stop them just because you're pregnant now, okay? Sex usually culminates with an orgasm. Well, hopefully for you it does, right? Hopefully. Well, orgasms can cause temporary rhythmic muscular contractions of the pelvic floor. These are not uterine contractions, so this should not increase your risk of preterm labor. However, Once you're full term, human sperm in itself has natural prostaglandins that help to ripen the cervix, okay? And usually those receptors 
that trigger and continue labor aren't developed until late in the pregnancy. However, for some women, they can have an increased risk of preterm labor and preterm birth because in theory, for some people, those receptors may have developed a little bit earlier. So here are a list of reasons you should not have sex during pregnancy, okay? So if you have known cervical insufficiency or if you've had preterm labor, in a previous pregnancy with painless cervical dilation. So with your last pregnancy, you went in and you were only feeling pressure. They checked your cervix and you were like eight centimeters dilated. Okay, well, you have cervical insufficiency, okay? Or even with this pregnancy, if you went for your anatomy scan at 20 weeks and they saw that your cervix was short and they've been doing serial cervical lengths on you and giving you vaginal progesterone, you should not probably have sex, okay? Because you have a higher risk of the tensile strength of your cervix um, not being strong enough to keep the cervix closed, okay? And so whenever you uh, have penetration, anything that touches the cervix um, can cause the cervix to, you know, basically thin, okay? It can cause release of hormones because of that sexual intercourse. So we don't want that to happen and we don't want you going to preterm labor. So those people probably shouldn't be having sex. Um, if you have a cerclage in place, this is the treatment of cervical insufficiency. Or even if you have no signs yet, if you had a previous pregnancy with cervical insufficiency, that means you have cervical insufficiency with all the other ones. And if you've been treated already with a cerclage, we definitely do not want you having sex, right? Because you have a stitch there and the trauma to the cervix can tear the stitch and cause you to have a lot of bleeding. So especially once you have a cerclage in place, no sex, no penetration in the vagina for the duration of the pregnancy. Okay. If you've had a previous trachelectomy, okay, that's the removal of the cervix. Some people may have uh, cervical cancer and they had a trachelectomy if it were early, you know, stage one, a cancer. They can remove the cervix and then they'll prophylactically, so meaning before you get pregnant, place a stitch there to keep the cervix closed and that stitch can stay there. So if you had a trachelectomy or removal of the cervix, then you definitely don't want to have sex in pregnancy because you have a stitch there, okay? And your cervix is already short and we already know you have a much higher risk of preterm labor. So do not put anything in the vagina, okay? If you have a history of preterm labor, so... You had all your baby at 30 weeks. Sometimes your OB will uh, tell you to restrict sexual intercourse. Okay. Talk to your OB about that one because there's not really a lot of good data on people with just a history of preterm labor. Now, if you are dilated, we don't want you having sex. So if your cervix is open, meaning you're already two, three centimeters dilated, well, it sort of goes without saying like nothing should go in the vagina, right? Because you have access to the bulging bag of water. Okay. Your, it introduces bacteria and can increase your risk of infection. So we definitely don't want anything in the vagina. Okay, so if you're dilated with a history of preterm labor, then no sex. Okay. If you have bleeding in pregnancy, we don't really know why yet. You shouldn't have sex. Okay. At least not until we figure out why. No sex. If you have a placenta privia, that's when the placenta is completely covering the cervix or a low-lying placenta, meaning your placenta is within two inches uh, excuse me, two centimeters, two centimeters of the opening of the cervix, then you will likely be put on pelvic rest or when they say no sex, okay? And that's because we don't want it to be where we're causing any trauma to the placenta, okay? That can cause you to bleed. Those vessels that connect the placenta to the wall of the uterus, we don't want, want them to shear. 
And if they shear, that could be a loss of blood from your end, but it can also mean that your baby's not getting good blood flow as well. So we don't want that to happen. So no sex. If you have a known partial placental abruption, so if you've been bleeding and they tell you that the reason you're bleeding is because the placenta separated a little bit from the inside of the uterus, but it's for the most part intact, because if it wasn't intact, then you would be you would have had to have the baby. Okay. So that's how you know it's partial. You, somebody mentioned the word abruption and you're still pregnant, then it's a partial abruption. Okay. If you have a partial abruption, meaning a portion of the placenta separated from the inside of the uterus, but they didn't tell you you needed to have a delivery, that's how you know it's partial. They mentioned abruption and you're still pregnant, it's a partial abruption, then you shouldn't have sex. Why? Because the placenta has already separated some from the inside of the uterus. We don't want you doing anything. At that point, you probably put on pelvic rest, meaning no sex, as well as bed rest. I mean, we really don't want you walking around at all because you're at risk for abrupting. If your bleeding was significant, then you might be in the hospital, or you should be in the hospital if you had a significant bleed because we don't want you at home which are bleeding, cutting loose, and then all of a sudden your husband or spouse or whomever has to rush you to the hospital, okay? So with a partial abruption, you are like literally chilling out, okay? If you have a vasoprivia, that's where the cord basically is over the cervix, okay? The cord inserts over the cervix. You definitely should not be having sex, and that's because the cord, if the cord bleeds, that's more dangerous than the edge of the placenta bleeding, okay? The placenta separating is usually like a slow ooze. The cord, or there being a tear or a laceration um, at the level of the cord, that means that the baby is losing blood. Like, that's a lot of blood that can be lost. So if you're bleeding because of a vasoprivia, then they're definitely putting you in the hospital. And if you bleed too much, they're going to go ahead and deliver you regardless of how far along you are, okay? So vasoprivia, very dangerous. We do not want you putting anything in the vagina. I mean, if you're not bleeding, breathe, okay? But we don't want you doing anything that can muck up bleeding during this pregnancy, especially with the vasoprivia, okay? So vasoprivia, nothing in the vagina, okay? And then if you have an untreated STD, I know people are like weren't thinking about that, but if you have an STD, if you have an odor, if you have, uh, you know, random discharge, like get checked out. Don't spread that to your spouse or whoever you're having sex with. Like get that checked out. You should not have sex until that is cured. OK, let's be big, responsible people and get our discharges, you know, checked out. And, you know, realistically, hopefully we're having sex with one person and getting pregnant. OK, like let's be more selective. But if you but if you didn't, okay, let's say you had sex with a couple people. I'm not judging. If you are single, ready to mingle, you had sex with a couple people, and now you have a green discharge, I just want you to be responsible and get it treated. Get it checked out, get it treated. Okay. Now, if you don't have any of these conditions, then y'all, there's really no good reason that you should not be getting it on during pregnancy. I mean, sex in pregnancy actually has several benefits. So you know I have to list them to you. Okay. So the first benefit is it improves your self-confidence, right? So just like sex outside of pregnancy improves self-confidence, you really need a confidence boost when you're pregnant. Why? Because you got stretch marks, your nose is spreading, your belly is getting big, your hips are getting big, you've gained 20, 30 pounds. And so sometimes that can make you feel like, oh my God, I don't got it. But then when you have sex, you're like, boom, 
I still got it. So it does improve self-confidence as your body continues to change. It also improves labor and recovery. So some studies show that because orgasms are contractions of the pelvic floor muscles, orgasms strengthen the pelvic floor over time, which helps ease labor pains and makes for a quicker recovery. So yes, we want you, if you're in a committed relationship and you're being safe, we want you to have sex as much as possible before pregnancy and during pregnancy. So go ahead, strengthen the pelvic floor. The next benefit is it can improve your bladder control during and after pregnancy. So we know in pregnancy, you have this basic big old weight you can't put down, right? That weight's the uterus. Inside that weight is the baby, okay? You can't put it down. So it exerts a lot of pressure on the pelvis, okay? And a lot of pressure on the bladder. So it's almost like... Sex is just sort of like a makeshift Kegel exercise, right? It's strengthening your whole pelvic floor, just like a Kegel exercise. And we know that when you strengthen your pelvic floor, that'll help with with, uh, bladder control, okay? And it helps, especially after pregnancy, when you've had a, a lot more laxity in that pelvic floor because of that uterus you can't take out and and take out and put on the side shelf for you to sleep. Well, no, it just stays in the whole time, right? So because of that, your pelvic floor muscles will get weaker and weaker over time. Sex helps with that. So we want you to in, in continue your healthy sex life. Also, there's greater sexual satisfaction in pregnancy than outside of pregnancy. Yes, it is. And that's because there's more blood flow to the pelvis and you have a much higher hormone level that can lead to a better climactic experience. So why would you not try it out in pregnancy? Of course, as always, sex increases and and cultivates bonding with your spouse. And it also helps with your immunity. So since sex increases your IgA antibodies, those are antibodies that are released uh, whenever there are toxins that are around. Okay, so you have IgA and sometimes IgE if you have allergens. This can actually help boost and help fight off allergens and pollutants. So we want you to continue to have sex just a way to keep your immune system up because, you know, the immune system is down in pregnancy. So you won't fight off the cells of your own baby. That's why your immune system has to be down. But sex helps give you a little bit of a boost. It also helps reduce blood pressure. And this is due to relaxation in your post-orgasmic state. Now, before we move to the cases, I will say, if you have chronic hypertension, This does not mean that sex is a substitution for taking your medicines. Okay, I know where y'all's head went. No, you have to still take your antihypertensives if you have chronic hypertension. Okay, (laughs) I did not tell you not to do that. So don't tell your OBGYN. I told you just to go have sex. That's a lie. Okay. Also, it does not reduce your risk of preeclampsia. So just because people overall that have uh, sex more regularly do have a lower blood pressure on average, it does not reduce your risk of preeclampsia. So if you have risk factors for preeclampsia, you still need to take your low-dose aspirin. Okay, you still need to take it. And now, I don't know if I said that earlier before, we now know you need to take two baby aspirin to help reduce your risk of preeclampsia, not just one. So you really should be taking 162 milligrams. If there's some type of like in-between pill that's at least 100 milligrams, then you should be taking that. So we know the studies now say you need at least 100 milligrams to help reduce your risk of preeclampsia, um, more effectively. 
right, so now that we know a little bit more about sex and pregnancy, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 25-year-old who is 21 weeks pregnant with her first child. She has type 1 diabetes that is well-controlled with an insulin pump. She's been noticing a trend of having lower abdominal cramping and lower blood glucose levels, usually in the 60s or 70s, within the hour of having sexual intercourse. She was sent for management of her hypoglycemic episodes. She also wants to know if sex is causing these issues and if it's safe to continue having intercourse during the rest of her pregnancy. First of all, what I would do is address the, the, the most important matter. And the most important matter is you're 25, you're 21 weeks pregnant, and you're type 1 diabetic. So the first thing I would do is go through your diet. Are you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner? How many calories are you eating with breakfast, lunch, and dinner? What is your insulin to carb ratio with your breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And if after your meals, are you checking one hour or two hour postprandial checks? Or are you using your pump to tell you, Basically, how are you identifying what your levels are in the postprandial state, okay, or after meal state? So I want to make sure I'm clear on that. And so just to clarify, let's make sure we understand. And there's a whole episode on diabetes. You can go back and listen to it. But just to hit the high notes, everyone that has type 1 or type 2 diabetes should be eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I usually recommend that you eat 45 to 60 grams of carbs with breakfast, lunch and dinner okay you should also be eating snacks between breakfast and lunch lunch and dinner and a bedtime snack there are so many people that skip that bedtime snack right because they're like oh i'm full oh the baby is not letting me eat oh i don't really feel hungry like no like you really have to do something um before you go to bed if you're gonna you know sleep for eight hours and on average pregnant women sleep more right you should be sleeping about 10 to 11 hours a day in your third trimester, okay? So if you're sleeping 10 hours as opposed to the recommended eight hours, then you can see that's a much longer period of fasting, okay? So that is why it's really important in pregnancy that you have the bedtime snack. We're not just saying that. We just don't want you to starve throughout the night. Starvation in pregnancy is actually not a good thing, okay? It ain't good. Because your body will start to break down your glucose stores and then all of a sudden your finger stick is higher fasting in the morning when you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I really didn't eat anything. Well, we know you're starving and that's why your body basically hit a low at like two or three in the morning and start to break down your own glucose stores and now your blood sugar is like 110 fasting and we're trying to figure out like what happened. Well, what happened was you're not eating enough. Okay, so you really need to eat enough. So start there. So I would address that as making sure that's not the reason that you're having your hypoglycemic episodes. And I also want to make sure that you're not having any hyper or higher blood sugars as well. I also want to make sure I know what we're covering ourselves in terms of a sliding scale. So if we, if this is a result of like, perhaps you ate lunch and your finger stick was like 150 and you gave yourself a sliding scale then you had sex and then like an hour later you were in the 60s to 70s. Okay, well that's not the sex. That's actually the extra insulin that you gave yourself. So I'd want to clarify and make sure that that's not the case. But if everything's been done like it's supposed to be done, you're eating three meals and three snacks a day. You're on a normal insulin res regimen that covers your insulin to carb ratio and you're counting the number of carbs. So you're giving yourself the correct amount of insulin. Okay, then I would say, okay, well, if this only happens during sex, then yeah, 
It could be the sex that's dropping you a little, okay? And 60s to 70s is not really that bad, okay? Unless you're feeling like dizzy or symptomatic, then I would just let it ride. But if you're like in the middle of the day and you've eaten and your postprandials are dropping that low, to me that means that you may need to eat a little bit more. Or if you see this trend every time, listen, girl, make that man get up and, and fix you a snack after you you have sex and then check your fingers stick an hour later. Like maybe you are like just working off that much energy that you are, you know, becoming hypoglycemic because when you're a type one diabetic is you you're in a very brittle state. OK, and so if you're used to eating this amount and you use your finger stick being 110, but then you got hot and heated for an hour and had steamy sex and you know that you're brittle. Like if you go and walk around the block and your finger sticks in the 70s, usually that's a real thing. I have patients that control their finger sticks by just doing more activity. Well, sex is definitely activity. OK, you can get a workout on and at 21 weeks, you're probably not all that tired just yet. It's not like you're 32 weeks and laying on your side. Like at 21 weeks, you're probably like really, you know, enjoying yourself. OK, to, to be PG on this podcast. So if that's the case, listen, the solution Babe, go make me some hummus and carrots. Like, let me get a little, you know, post-coital snack is what we call it. Get you a post-coital snack, and that way we won't be hypoglycemic. I'm just saying, like, there's a solution to this. Then that solution is not to just not have sex. Like, if you can't have sex, like, you can be walking around frustrated, grumpy. Your spouse is going to be walking around looking at you crazy. And so we don't want to cause this rift in your relationship if we don't have to cause a rift. And right now, I don't see any issue except for you have like a little bit of a low. That other thing is like, oh, you feel like cramping afterwards. That's your pelvic floor. Okay. The pelvic floor is a big muscle. And you will have some cramping. And you got to realize that in pregnancy, you have a much higher hormone level than outside of pregnancy. So you might have just more intense contractions of the pelvic floor. That's okay. If you had a, if you had your ultrasound, they said your cervix was normal. They said the baby was normal. Like there's really no reason that you should be concerned about that cramping that happens right after pregnancy. I mean, right after uh, sexual intercourse. That's okay. That's normal. That's your body recovering from the goodness you just had. But get you a postcordial snack, okay? The case pearl for this case is sex takes energy. It's possible, not typical, but possible, especially for our diabetics, that you can burn a few extra calories, which can drop your blood sugar. So make sure you follow your diet plan and use frequent meals throughout the day and get you a postcordial snack. All right, I hear we have a couple of email cases today as opposed to a second case. So we'll go to our medical intern for our first emailed case. This one says, Dr. Plenty, I have a surclage in place and was told not to have sex for the duration of the pregnancy. Does this mean I should abstain from only vaginal sex or does oral and anal sex count as well? If I could poll the number of times I've had this question, it would be like through the roof. I mean, everybody asks this question. Why? Because y'all trying to be creative and y'all are walking around sort of kind of in the mood, horny. And you're like, oh my God, she told me I can't have sex. And it's almost like y'all probably weren't going to have sex that much anyway. But just because we told you, you shouldn't have sex. Now all of a sudden it's like, I'm horny all the time. <laughs> okay. So for Sir Clodge, 
this is one of the times that I'm pretty serious about not having sex, okay, or what's called pelvic rest. And let me define what pelvic rest is because people think pelvic rest is only sex. It's not only sex, okay? It means that nobody should be checking your cervix digitally. So we no fingers in the in the vagina, okay? We don't want anything that can potentially touch the cervix that can cause you to have any cramping. That means no toys, okay? Definitely no penis. And and we also want you to try to control like that whole like orgasmic feel. No, we don't want you really orgasming with a cerclage in place. Now, could you do a little foreplay? Mm, yeah, technically you can do a little foreplay, but who wants foreplay without the orgasm, right? And since your tensile strength of the cervix is not strong, so we don't want to do anything that's going to cause contraction followed by relaxation of the pelvic floor. Now, could it be okay for you to have oral and anal sex? Yeah, I, I tell people if you have to have sex, then oral and anal sex would be the way to go. But definitely no vaginal sex and no checking. OK, now, if you were somebody that had to be on pelvic rest because you have a placenta privia, OK, then you may be okay with just oral sex and anal sex because the point of that is no trauma directly over the level of the cervix, okay? With anal and directly over the cervix. So you should be safe there. And you have an orgasm probably won't do anything because it's not really causing any contraction of the cervix. The cervix is not doing that, okay? It's the pelvic floor. So you probably would be okay with that if you were like, oh, I'm desperate. Okay. So you can get creative in other ways, but the, with the cerclage, I'm pretty much a stickler on that because you don't, your tissues have shown us that they don't have the tensile strength to stay closed. So cerclage patient, I'm sorry. We really don't want you doing too much of anything. Okay. People that have a little bit of spotting in pregnancy or a low line placenta, we don't want you doing anything in the vagina, but if you want to get creative other ways, you, you can do that. I hope that answers your question. Now, I know the other people that don't have a circle were like, well, I hope she addresses the other stuff. Well, I did. Okay. So if you want to get creative in other ways, you can, because this is all about direct impact on the cervix. Okay. But with cervical insufficiency, we don't really want anything causing relaxation of anything in the pelvis. Okay. So, so none of that other stuff. Okay. What's our next email question? The next one says, Dr. Plenty, I was put on pelvic rest after my 20-week anatomy scan because the placenta was 1.5 centimeters from my cervical opening. Does that mean I also have to be on bed rest? If you're not bleeding, the answer is no. So bed rest increases your risk of a whole bunch of stuff. So it increases your risk of blood clots, meaning a PE, meaning a pulmonary embolus, which is a blood clot in the lung, or DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis, which is a blood clot in your leg. So it increases your risk of that. It increases your risk of, of weight gain, increases your risk of edema or fluid on your extremities. So we don't want to have you, you know, just be in the bed. And we know that bed rest in itself does not reduce your risk of preterm labor. So we don't want you to be on bed rest. The only time we want you to be on bed rest is if your cervix is already dilating, you have a super high risk of preterm labor, or you're already bleeding. Like you have a partial placental abruption and we're concerned that you're going to start bleeding more. Those people, we don't want you doing any exercise and we want you to take it easy, but it doesn't mean you have to be strapped to the bed. We just don't want you doing anything strenuous. If your cervix is 1.5 centimeters from the opening of the cervix, then, um, excuse me, if your placenta is 1.5 centimeters from the opening of the cervix, it just means that your placenta is low-lying, okay? You don't even have a placenta uh, privia, which would be completely covering. So you definitely don't need to be on bed rest. And you probably, if you're not bleeding, you probably don't need to be on 
pelvic rest. But if your OB told you to be on pelvic rest, I'm not going to defy them. But usually they'll take you off of pelvic rest um, whenever they do a follow-up ultrasound somewhere around that 28 to 32 week mark. So basically you'll get another ultrasound in the beginning of the third trimester usually. And if your cervix has moved, because as the uterus expands and grows, the placenta should shift away from that lower, uh, that lower uterine segment or that lower part of the uterus. So if that happens and you're no longer 1.5 centimeters, then you and your husband can go and have a party in the bedroom and you can go have sex. So it's not like you're going to be on pelvic rest for the duration of the pregnancy, but probably for the next eight weeks, you are, you are, if you're, if your OBGYN is being very cautious and putting you on pelvic rest. But for me, that means that if you are on pelvic rest with a placenta that's 1.5 centimeters from the opening, you probably had some issues bleeding earlier in pregnancy and they're proceeding with caution. So there is hope for you. There's hope for you. But no, it does not mean that you have to be on bed rest. All right, I think that's all the questions that we're going to address on this topic. Yes, that's all the questions we're going to address. If you have other questions, because there are several people I had to send emails back and just answer your questions, then please shoot them to me, okay? Thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. I hope that you've learned more about sex during pregnancy today. If you've been enjoying the podcast, make sure to rate and leave a comment on your preferred platform. And don't keep me a secret. Make sure to share me with your friends and family. If you or someone you know has a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at PregnancyPearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at Pregnancy underscore Pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com for such Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production.